Can you hear me? Yes, hello. Hello, hello, hi. How are you? I'm all right, how are you? Very good, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for your time. No, pleasure, happy to do this. Welcome to All Things Cardio-Oncology. This is the podcast of the International Cardio-Oncology Society. My name is Steve Caselli. I'm the Executive Director for ICOS. It's my pleasure to introduce first my co-host today, Dr. Arjun Ghosh. Arjun is consultant cardiologist at Arts Health Center, University College London Hospital, and the Hatter Cardiovascular Institute. Welcome, Dr. Ghosh. Thanks, Steve. Uh, pleasure to be here with you. We're also privileged to welcome today Professor Ashutosh Wachelikar, Professor of Medicine and Hematology at University College London as well, and the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust. Welcome, Professor Wachelikar. Thank you, um, Stephen. Delighted to be here. Well, our conversation today, uh, we want to focus on Dr. Wachelikar's work on amyloidosis in particular. But before we get there, I just wanted to ask if you could tell us a little bit about your background and your experience leading up to your interest in cardio-oncology more generally. Any particular influences along the way that pointed you in this direction, either academically or in your research or in your clinical experience? So I'm a hematologist by background. and my main interest when I was training was uh, was in plasma cell dyscrasias and multiple myeloma. My interest in uh, amyloidosis started uh, when I did a fellowship at uh, Princess Margaret Hospital in uh, Toronto in uh, Canada, and uh, they had a reasonably large population of AL amyloidosis patients, and uh, I realized that these patients had a serious unmet medical need. They had a there was a major clinical challenge in managing these patients, and it required uh, not just hematological knowledge, but also uh, sort of general medical knowledge of multiple systems because these patients presented with cardiac, renal, GI, autonomic problems. And that's really what led to my interest in uh, this unusual plasma cell disorder. And then when I returned back to the UK, I was uh, privileged to get a fellowship with uh, Leukemia Research Fund to look for um, genomic abnormalities in these disorders, and that led to my clinical interest in amyloidosis. And uh, with my sort of amyloid hat on, I got interested in the cardiac problems, and then that led to my interest in cardio-oncology. That's great. Super helpful to know and interesting to hear kind of the path by which you got to where you are. Arjun, you have some questions about um, Ashu's work on amyloidosis. Sure. Uh, Thanks, uh, Steve. So, Ashu, um, just going to ask you a few questions about um, your work in amyloidosis and the National Amyloid Center, and also maybe with the following questions, if you could kind of take us through your feeling of um, how amyloidosis management might be changing in the future and how it has a global impact and uh, how it can be managed in other countries. So maybe if I could um, start by asking, if uh, you could just tell us a little bit about um, what the National Amyloid Center is and um, you know, what your role is there and you know, how, how it helps to manage um, amyloidosis in the UK. So within the UK, we are uh, quite privileged to have a central uh, 
amyloidosis uh, unit, which was uh, which has been funded now for over 20 years by the Department of Health with a group of uh, multidisciplinary uh, specialists. I'm a hematologist. I've got two colleagues who are a nephrologist. We have got a couple of cardiologists, uh, a rheumatologist and an immunologist, along with a number of basic scientists who, who formed this unit. And uh, it was established originally by Professor Sir Mark Pepys and uh, Professor Philip Hawkins, uh, who um, has been my mentor and actually um, I learned with him and I was one of his clinical fellows. So at the Amyloidosis Center, um, the role really is to uh, provide expertise in within the UK and also for patients from outside the UK for um, diagnosing amyloid, typing it accurately, providing uh, genetics for the familial types of amyloidosis. We do uh, some special scans for amyloidosis, one of which is called as a serum amyloid P or SAP scan. This is uh, pretty unique um, globally to the National Amyloidosis Center. This um, allows us to use a specific tracer called SAP to image amyloid deposits within the internal organs. And then serial scanning allows us to track these patients' amyloid progression or um, improvement, depending on how things might be over the years. This gives us a unique perspective for amyloid patients. We have a specialist laboratory within the National Amyloidosis Center where we are able to do um, immunohistochemistry, mass spectrometry, uh, genetics, and now next generation sequencing for um, getting the accurate amyloid fibril type, which is absolutely critical to deciding the underlying protein causing amyloidosis and then planning the management of the patient as each particular amyloid type will have a very different management. The patients will come to the amyloidosis center, they will stay with us for a couple of days, they will undergo a series of scans, including the SAP scan, typically a cardiac MRI, an echocardiogram, a six-minute walk test. We'll take any biopsies that we need to take. Uh, we'll get um, our specialist blood tests, come up with uh, an assessment of uh, what is the type of amyloidosis, uh, what is the extent of the damage, and then send a management plan back to the local um, center from where the patient has come. And one of its critical roles has been to educate um, and provide a source of information to clinicians uh, treating amyloidosis. And to that end, uh, I've been fortunate to be able to establish an amyloidosis network within the UK. And we hold a meeting of this network once a year. And uh, the Department of Health um, and NHS England may be funding a series of treatment centers within the UK in the coming years. Okay, great. And um, Ashu, in terms of amyloid treatment in the UK, clearly there, there has been a big change with time. And some of that change has come from the research that you, know, you have personally been involved with and the National Amyloid Center has been involved with. So can you just um, tell us how um, the treatment of amyloid has changed with time and um, the involvement of uh, the NAC? Absolutely. So the treatment of amyloidosis um, has, be, has involved in what I might say little steps over time. Uh, when the amyloidosis center was established, uh, it really was very straightforward. Um, AL amyloidosis had one treatment, which was a drug called melphalan, which is a very old-fashioned alkylator, which was given orally as tablets. And uh, once in a while, patients um, had something slightly more complex. So pretty much there was one treatment. For AA amyloidosis, which is amyloidosis secondary to inflammation, 
there was very little to treat and these patients had rheumatoid and other conditions with not very good treatments and the other types of familial amyloidosis had absolutely no treatment as the treatments for plasma cell dyscrasias and multiple myelomas have evolved over the last 10 years with a huge transformation these drugs have been adopted for the treatment of amyloidosis in uh, particularly of the al type and we have been lucky in the uk to be able to access these drugs under the umbrella of multiple myeloma to treat patients with amyloidosis and uh, because of the numbers of patients we see, we have been fortunate to um, have a good database uh, of nationally treated patients, allowing us to analyze what has happened with the treatments and how the outcomes have changed. So when I started the Amyloid Center, the median survival of a patient with AL amyloidosis was about one to one and a half years. We then were able to show that treatment with thalidomide, which is uh, a drug used for treatment of multiple myeloma, in combination with other drugs, can induce the deeper responses and reduce the precursor protein uh, a lot more than before. And the survival of patients then improved from say about a year to two to two and a half years. And really the changing point was uh, the uh, availability and discovery of a drug called bortezomib, which is a proteasm inhibitor that is used to treat multiple myeloma. In AL amyloidosis, there is misfolding of the light chains within the abnormal plasma cells and uh, Hence, these patients are uniquely sensitive to this proteasome inhibitor. We were able to report the initial series of patients treated with bortezomib to show that it was very effective in patients with amyloidosis and achieve very deep reductions of the precursor protein. That has now led to bortezomib being studied globally and being adopted as a frontline treatment for patients with amyloidosis. And over the years, the median survival of patients has improved now to over five years. The other thing we realized in AL amyloidosis was that uh, a large number of patients died very early on, typically because of heart failure or cardiac arrhythmias. And uh, we were then able to set up a prospective observational study, uh, kindly funded by a UK charity called Myeloma UK, which allowed us to uh, assess these patients more closely with regular contacts from one of our nurse specialists. And we realized that fluid management close contact with patients and rapidly switching treatments for patients who are not responding was absolutely crucial. We also realized that we need to deal with cardiac rhythm problems and we became very proactive in dealing with them. And that has made a significant difference in the outcome for patients with AL amyloidosis. In parallel with that, um, there was a big rollout of cardiac MRI scanners within the UK and uh, amyloidosis of transthyretin type, particularly wild type transthyretin amyloidosis has been now increasingly recognized. Within the National Amyloidosis Center, we set up a bone scintigraphy tracer called DPD uh, in the United States, it's PYP. And we replicated data on a large scale to show that this was extremely sensitive, exquisitely sensitive for cardiac TTR amyloidosis. And uh, from within the center, we were involved with the first clinical trials of uh, gene silencing, RNA silencing treatments for familial TTR amyloidosis and are currently running a number of trials with agents which can either uh, stop the production of TTR protein from the liver or stabilize the TTR protein. Uh, these trials have been led by uh, one of my colleagues, Professor Julian Gilmore. Uh, one of my other colleagues uh, who has an interest in periodic fever diseases has led a series of studies in um, using interleukin blockade and uh, 
biologic uh, anti-TNF agents in treatment of auto-inflammatory disorders, which often cause AA amyloidosis. And uh, with that, we find that we can regress AA amyloidosis, patients get better, and the incidence of AA amyloidosis has, uh, has decreased over time. So a lot has changed in amyloid treatment over the last few years, and we are certainly seeing improvement in survival for AL amyloidosis. With new drugs for ATTR amyloidosis, we hope that we'll see the same um, in times to come. And actually, do you think in the future the treatment really is this kind of immune approach or disease modifying treatment and a personalized kind of uh, medicalized approach? I think the key in amyloid patients, particularly for AL amyloidosis patients, is a personalized um, treatment approach because the patient's organ involvement and end organ dysfunction is different for every patient. The tolerance to drugs is different for every patient. And therefore, it is absolutely critical that the treatment is modified based on the patient's end-organ damage. Uh, immunotherapy with uh, agents which are able to target the clonal plasma cells more effectively are coming through and monoclonal antibodies have become available now. And we are seeing deeper and deeper responses um, in reducing the precursor protein. The challenge that we have at the moment is that none of the drugs that we are using have um, any direct impact on the amyloid fibers themselves. There is one drug that we use, it's an antibiotic called doxycycline. We were able to show that using doxycycline in combination with chemotherapy reduced the mortality of cardiac patients in a small retrospective observational study. And there is quite a lot of preclinical data suggesting that doxycycline may interfere with amyloid formation. We have had a number of clinical trials that uh, we were a part of, and there are some about to start where monoclonal antibodies directed to the amyloid fibrils activate macrophages, and then these activated macrophages are able to clear the amyloid deposits rapidly. And that's really where we need to go. What we have at the moment is, uh, is really good treatments which reduce the precursor and could essentially halt the disease in its tracks. But what we are unable to do is to reverse the end organ dysfunction and unfortunately, a significant number of patients, both of AL amyloidosis or ATTR amyloidosis, will die because their hearts aren't working well because the protein is still there. And until we get therapies which can remove the protein rapidly, uh, we have to rely on nature's own mechanisms for the slow removal of cardiac amyloid protein. So I think sure. one of the prongs of the treatment we are making lots of progress on, which is reducing the precursor or stabilizing the precursor. The other prong of the treatment, which is to actually accelerate the removal of deposits, still remains under clinical research. Okay. And, you know, there are some people, of course, who are very privileged to work in, you know, tertiary centers, uh, quaternary centers, such as the, the National Amyloid Center. But a lot of these patients, as you know, uh, you know, do present to their GP or they present to their local hospital, and there still does remain quite a time lag between the onset of symptoms and um, diagnosis and then uh, appropriate management. So how do you think um, you know, the awareness can be raised and uh, who, who should be kind of helping to manage these patients from the cardiac side, do you think? Is it the local uh, cardiology unit in the local hospital or should they be referred to um, a regional cardio-oncology center? I mean, how do you think uh, we can manage this better? I think, um, Arjun, you've touched on two really critical points here. One is early diagnosis. 
Amyloid progression is a pretty exponential process. Patients will start with very low symptoms and then get sick very quickly. And having a high degree of suspicion for amyloidosis is absolutely critical. Within the cardiology clinic, uh, patients who present with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, especially patients who have thick-walled LVs with uh, normal or low-voltage ECGs, or as you know, the lack of longitudinal cardiac function on uh, 2D strain should all be red flags. We would also consider that patients who present with a combination of say heart failure and renal failure or heart failure and nephrotic syndrome or autonomic and peripheral neuropathy together with cardiac dysfunction, amyloid should go to the top of the list. Other clues include heart cardiac failure, particularly thick-walled heart failure and history of bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome. And all of these would be flags to investigate the patient for amyloidosis. MRI scanning is probably the test which was most likely to give a positive or negative answer as to the amyloid diagnosis. And DPD scintigraphy, if available, or a bone scintigraphy tracer will tell whether it's ATTR or it is something else. Now that's about early diagnosis. As soon as amyloid is suspected, the key then is to identify, because the two commonest types now are AL amyloidosis, which involves the heart, or ATTR amyloidosis. In patients with AL amyloidosis, there is always a circulating monoclonal protein and serum-free light chains. And having a quick test done, which is available in every hospital for serum protein uh, electrophoresis, immunofixation, and serum-free light chains, as well as a urine for Benz-Jones protein, will either rule in or rule out AL amyloidosis. If these tests are normal, then AL becomes very unlikely, and we are thinking of another type of amyloid. If it's an elderly patient, maybe ATTR amyloid. If these tests are abnormal, then it's really an emergency to consider AL and get a tissue diagnosis if possible, typically with a biopsy either from the abdominal fat, a lip biopsy, a gum biopsy, or a rectal biopsy, to be stained with Congo Red, which is available in almost every hospital, and to refer the sample to the local referral center, whichever it might be, for amyloid fibril typing. Then coming to the point of treatment, patients need treatment early, and if referral to a regional center is going to take a long time to get the treatment initiated, then as soon as the fibrils are typed, it is important that the patient starts on the appropriate chemotherapy under uh, close observation with cardiologists who have an interest in uh, cardio-oncology. If in a small district hospital or a small hospital, there is nobody who could um, spend the time with the patient to do this, then the patients would, would be better served in a larger unit where appropriate multidisciplinary support is available. Okay, and one of the issues that we often try to understand is uh, the global impact of disease. Uh, the you know, International Cardio-Oncology Society, you know, one of the focuses is to try and explore cardio-oncology in different communities um, across the globe. So given your personal experience of your undergraduate and initial postgraduate training in India, you know, what advice would you have regarding the you know, management of amyloid patients in developing countries? And uh, to, to answer this question, I'm really talking about you know, the governmental strategies and then, of course, at, at a more kind of uh, local level of individual cardiologists and hematologists. So on, on a much broader scale, it's important to recognize that AL amyloidosis and ATTR amyloidosis are uncommon diseases, but they're not as rare as people think. And therefore, uh, in almost every setting, they, they do need to be thought of. When amyloid is considered, an echocardiogram is almost available in most hospitals in most countries and will be your first clue for diagnosis. 
Congo red staining has been around for not nearly 100 years and can be done in every country. It's very easy to do. And I saw my first Congo red slides when I did pathology in India. And you can make a diagnosis of amyloidosis quite simply using Congo red staining. Depending on what tests are available, simple algorithms are possible, which can be very cost effective in making a diagnosis. And if there are complex cases, most of the tertiary referral centers are willing to uh, arrange for amyloid fibril typing, sometimes at uh, no cost or at a minimal cost uh, for, for, patients from, uh, for patients who cannot afford to pay for this. And then treatments for AL amyloidosis can be done very effectively with drugs which are available everywhere and which are uh, not very expensive. Whilst the newer monoclonals are very effective, uh, they are quite expensive, but the older drugs like botezomib, thalidomide, and even simple drugs like malfilan still remain highly effective in treatment for this condition. So within countries where um, access or cost is an issue, there are easily available treatments that, that uh, they, can, um, they can do. And the other crucial thing within almost all of these is to try and have a network of interested physicians in say plasma cell disorders or um, cardio-oncology problems uh, who can serve as reference points for, patient, for people who are finding patients challenging. Okay, great. And um, coming to the trainees in both cardiology and hematology, um, I'm sure that uh, trainees have approached you wanting to learn a bit more about amyloid. So what would be the best way for you know, a cardiology trainee or a hematology trainee who may want to develop uh, a deeper interest in amyloid to get trained uh, in this area? Um, not necessarily to be an amyloid specialist, but just to have uh, uh, more than the average interest uh, in this uh, field. So certainly from a UK perspective or even for any global trainees, we always welcome any trainees who want to come and spend some time with us. Even a few weeks can give them a lot of experience in amyloid and uh, they would get a feel for different types of amyloidosis and different imaging techniques. And we certainly welcome any trainees who want to come and visit our center or spend some time with us, both within our treatment clinic and within the National Amyloidosis Center. And we routinely have visitors who come and spend some time with us. For uh, Trainees where there are, um, they're, they are not from within the UK or elsewhere. Uh, the best thing is to go to their uh, local um, cardio-oncology center and amyloid center where there are patients. And we've now got interested centers in almost every country in Europe, uh, United States, Canada, Australia, uh, South America. And even uh, there are small centers now setting up in, uh, in India where trainees could go and set, spend some time working through the diagnosis of amyloidosis and understanding how these patients are uh, are treated and then we do have educational um, seminars that we conduct we run an amyloid network meeting in the uk that's free for anyone to attend and then um, myeloma uk runs educational skill courses and we'll hopefully have an amyloid one coming up very soon that will be freely available for anybody who wants to spend more time and learn about this okay and in terms of research opportunities that um, trainees can get involved with, um, do you have any uh, tips for trainees, not just necessarily with the National Amyloid Center, but in general, getting involved in amyloid research worldwide? And then of course, specifically, you know, with yourself. I think the, the, the easiest thing about amyloid research is that it is underdeveloped and it is underdiagnosed in almost every country. And identifying the gap within your country where you can either set up a, a program for amyloid typing, a program for amyloid diagnosis, a program for amyloid imaging, 
um, cardiac or non-cardiac. And a lot of these things often don't require investment because these are um, scans and tests that are routinely available. And all, all the trainees need to do is to uh, get involved with the right teams and direct the patients who may not be having these scans to have these scans. And then to liaise with a global amyloid center uh, who, who would be willing to provide support for some more complex tests and investigations that may be done or provide some strategic background to these research uh, trainees, that would be the way forward. And certainly there are fellowships which come up from time to time within our center and also from amyloid centers elsewhere. There is a big center in Italy, there's a center in Germany, in uh, France, in Netherlands, and of course there are a couple of centers at the Mayo Clinic in Boston. And regularly fellowships are advertised in these centers for trainees who want to spend longer periods of time. Great, and um, you've given us a really uh, fantastic kind of overview of um, how amyloid has developed in the UK over time and uh, the role of the National Amyloid Centre and how trainees can get involved in research and uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, training as well. Uh, maybe I could just um, finish by asking you uh, if you had, um, you know, one or two sentences to, to kindly, uh, you know, finish off by, you know, saying why should a cardiology or hematology trainee consider amyloid uh, as a future career path, um, if you could give it to us in a nutshell. It's a fascinating disease. It is a big unmet medical need, and it's not as rare as you think. And these are patients who um, almost everybody thinks will not get better, but actually show remarkable improvement with the right kind of treatment. The, there, is, uh, there is clinical medicine in it. There is uh, hematological medicine in it. There is malignant hematology in it. There is cardiology in it. And there is very complex protein biology in it. So there's pretty much everything that one would wish to study that's there in an amyloid field, right from the rarity of the disease, the complexity of the disease, to protein biochemistry, to straightforward bedside patient management. So yes, it's a fascinating disease and a fascinating field. And um, I would certainly um, uh, certainly encourage people to get interested in this. And uh, of course, uh, there are people at, at our center uh, who would be delighted to um, help and support. Great. So I think that was a, a fantastic sell there, uh, Ashu. So uh, maybe I'll hand over to, to Steve um, for his thoughts. Thank you, Arjun. Well, thank you both uh, for being with us today for this fascinating conversation. It's a real pleasure, a real treat for our listeners, I'm sure. This is one of those kind of sub-specialty focus areas in cardio-oncology where I know there's a growing um, interest and even in our society. We're actually uh, going to host a series of amyloid-focused uh, webinars in 2021. So um, maybe we can have Ashu join us for, for one of those events. And uh, mm -hmm. we'll be glad to put some information, links in the show notes to uh, some of the, the organizations and opportunities that were mentioned in the program today. If, as a listener, you want to uh, register for those webinars, you can go to our website, ic-os.org, and under the Events tab, there is a section for registering for webinars and more information about that. So thank you both for uh, joining us today, and I know this has been tremendously interesting and helpful for our listeners. Thank you, Stephen. Delighted to join. Thanks a lot, Stephen.